Alright guys, it's Nick here from Seattle. The birds are chirping. It's cloudy. It's interesting. It's beautiful. I don't know. I think it's beautiful. Some people may prefer the sun, but nice day to get outside and just get some fresh air. So you guys are back. Thanks for listening. This is the Dane and Nick podcast, and we are in week seven or week eight, I don't really know, of a 12-part series here. We've been covering each team in the Pac-12 individually with the spring football program outlook. And so this week, we will be covering the Oregon State Beavs, who last year really turned their program around. I mean, they really, really did. The prior two seasons before last year, how the heck do you phrase that? They only had three combined wins. And last season, they finished with five. And if it wasn't for a questionable fourth and fourth down or fourth and four call by head coach Jonathan Smith, they could have potentially made a bowl game. That call I'm referring to was against WSU. They're somewhere near midfield and it was a fourth and four. They could have punted the ball deep and made the Cougars drive the length of the field to win the game. Instead, OSU went for it and they ultimately didn't get it. WSU capitalized scoring on a short field. So again, but that's how close they were to a bowl game. So let's take nothing away from head coach Jonathan Smith. They did an absolutely amazing job. And just to see how far this program's come is really cool to see. So let's see what, what else we got here in the introduction. Well, I guess I should give some sort of brief preview for next year. And the main thing I'm going to look at is, I think the most obvious thing, but they lost quarterback Jake Luton and wideout Isaiah Hodgins. That is going to be absolutely impossible to get back. That production was unparalleled. There's just something beautiful when a quarterback and receiver are on the same page. No one could stop it. Everyone in the Pac-12 knew where their ball was going and still just put up phenomenal numbers. Again, they're both gone. And on top of that, they lost three very, very solid starting offensive linemen. So it should be interesting. You can't call it a rebuild, but they definitely need to retool this year. I'll make my overall prediction for them later on in the show, and Dane will break down their schedule in its entirety. So for me, for now, I'm going to send it down south to Tucson. And Dane, how's it going down there? We got the clouds popping off here in Seattle. What's it like down in Tucson? Good to hear from you always, bud. All right, thanks, Nick. Glad to be back here for another episode. Um, Yeah, you know, uh, Tucson is about to get a 100-degree day for the first time this year. They're predicting it, I think, on, on Wednesday or something. Last year, we made it all the way to June 9th before we got 100 degrees, which is basically unheard of. And this year is going to be coming right here at the end of April. So, yeah, summertime already in full um, go down here. But jumping into the Beavers, so as Nick mentioned, you're losing some key pieces. Um, but I think Jonathan Smith has turned that program around, or is at least beginning to, Um Last season was fantastic, considering what they had done, you know, basically since the start of the Pac-12 era. Um, And so when I'm looking at this season coming up, uh, and you take into consideration the players that they're losing or have lost, um, it's a question mark, though I'm going to give Smith the benefit of the doubt. Their recruiting class was um, near the bottom of the Pac-12, 54th nationally, 9th in the Pac-12. Not fantastic. They do have this quarterback coming in, Chance Nolan, junior college transfer. It'll be interesting to see if he can win that starting job um, over the Nebraska transfer, Gebbia. Um, So we'll see how that battle plays out. I think you're not going to know who's a starter until basically week one. 
Uh, so, and, and then I think the key for the Beavers is improvement on the defensive side of the ball. I think um, if they're able to show improvement on defense, they could probably get pretty close to equaling their win total of last year. And I'll jump into their schedule at the end of this episode. Um, so for now, I'll throw it back up north to Seattle for Nick um, to dive into their 2020 chances. Okay, so I'm going to break down the Beavers roster in its entirety for next year. Dane's going to take a look at the schedule in its entirety. Don't you love that word? Entirety, baby. Is there a synonym for that? I don't know. But anyway, so looking at the roster, Hamilcar Rashad Jr. is most likely going to be the leader of the team this year. He's a linebacker and he had 22.5 tackles for loss last season. So he's definitely going to be the leader. Or I shouldn't say definitely, but probably for sure. Again, coming off a 5-7 and seven season. And yeah, I mean, really the program's in good shape. But this year is probably going to determine the future, to be quite frank. And so the offense is easy to look at and easy to analyze this year. And I'll get to that. Don't worry. I haven't forgot about the point scorers. But we're going to start on the defensive side of the ball. Because this is where I think Oregon State can really determine how far they're going to go. So last season, the Beavers allowed 169.5 yards per game on the ground. And that was good for 10th in the Pac-12. So there's 12 teams in conference. Is 10th good? I don't think so. Y'all can figure that one out. Some kind of names to look out for, which may be able to re-bolster the line. You have Isaac Hodgins, not Isaiah. Isaac Hodgins returns, and he made 23 starts over the last two seasons. Uh, His stats read 48 tackles, 8 tackles for loss, and 3.5 sacks during that time frame of playing action. They also have Auburn transfer Charles Moore. And I think... Ultimately, he has to be the guy. They don't probably have a guy his size, his strength. Don't quote me on that. But coming in from Auburn and based off Oregon State history, this is a guy who needs to contribute. And he just needs to be a huge, huge defensive force. I don't know if the Beavers' defense can hold up without a solid playmaker on the line. And I don't know if Hodgins is really the guy to do it. So keep a name, keep an eye out for the name Charles Moore. Another name to consider is a junior college transfer in Tavis Shippen. He, he had a high-level productivity at the junior college level, but again, I want to see how that emulates in the Pac-12 before I can really, you know, make an analysis there. The standout of their defense, and definitely the most, I'd say the most recognizable part of their team this year, which is kind of surprising to say, is their linebacking core. And it's going to be led by Hamilcar Rashad Jr., as mentioned at the top. He's probably the most notable player out of the group. 22.5 tackles for loss which was good for 131 yards backwards. <laughs> That's really freaking impressive. <laughs> that really is. Um, he was a first-team All-American selection, so I think that speaks for itself. Helping him out in the linebacking core, you have Avery Roberts, who led the Beavers with 83 tackles and 6.5 tackles for a loss, and Omar Spates with 73 tackles and 7.5 tackles for a loss in his freshman campaign and was also named a freshman All-American. So these three are the three leading returning tacklers from last season, and they have to be the they have to be the linchpin of the defense. I mean, the line, as I mentioned, you're kind of depending on a transfer to take over things. Really, not a lot of returning talent on the line. You could, you know, if you're trying to write a really, you know, inspiring positive article, you could put in the word "could be good" on the line, but really, probably not. Let's just keep it 100. So their linebacking core really has to be the guy, 
or really has to be the group to get it done. And if you hop over their secondary, again, just I'm not seeing a lot. They have David Morris, who could be their most valuable player. He's a safety and an all-pack 12 honorable mention, honorable mention, honorable mention as a true freshman. They have Isaiah Dunn and Nashawn Wright, and they'll need to be locked down corners, to be quite frank. If these guys can't get it done at the cornerback position, it could be a really long year for this Oregon State defense. And a couple other names they're going to be looking on to maybe make some plays. We'll start with the in, or with the redshirt freshman from last season, and that's JoJo Forrest and Akili Arnold. Or the, excuse me, they're true freshmen. They got some playing time last year just because of lack of talent, lack of depth, however you want to phrase it. So let's see how their sophomore, camp, how their sophomore campaign bodes. And they also have transfers, Rajon Wright, Ron Hardage, and Alton Julian. And Alton Julian is probably the name to remember out of that group. So again, just looking at their secondary in its entirety, just not a lot there to be quite frank. Again, David Morris is probably going to have to be the guy. Safety is always a crucial position on the football field, so he has to be the dude. And Isaiah Dunn and Nashawn Wright are probably going to have to step up at the cornerback position. I don't know if they're elite game changers, but they do have the potential to do so. So that's pretty much their defense. To quickly summarize, great linebacking core, truly, truly amazing. And their defensive line and secondary are pretty questionable. I mean, throwing out all the names, bottom line is they're pretty freaking questionable. On the offensive side of the ball, again, who's going to take over for Jake Luton? As uh, Dane briefly mentioned at the top, I believe he did at least. Let's see, I don't know where my short-term memory's at. Did he? I listened to it. Who knows? Either way, I'm going to say it. And Tristan Jebbia is probably the guy. He was a transfer from Nebraska. He appeared in four games. In his most notable action, he started in the Civil War against Oregon, where he threw for 243 yards and completed 65% of his passes. And a number I really like in that game is zero interceptions. I'm not sure if he fumbled the ball. That could be more understandable. But zero interceptions in a big-time rivalry game in your first meaningful start, that's impressive. That really is impressive. Another name to consider is junior college transfer Chase Nolan. And he could compete for the job as well. He's considered more of a dual threat, more mobile than than Jebbia. So we'll see who they go with. I would likely bet on Jebbia, though, the transfer from Nebraska. At running back, they have Jamar Jefferson returning. His freshman year, he ran for 1,380 yards and 12 touchdowns. In my opinion, he has the potential to be a Darren Sproles type player. He's bigger, he's taller by four inches. He doesn't have that probably quickness, shiftiness, athleticism, but there is a lot there. There's something about him that I like. I like seeing him play, and I really think he could be a playmaker. Not just saying that, man. You know, I've already, I've already gone after their secondary and their line. There's something about him I like. They also have BJ Baylor who's a nice backup. He has a nice balance of power and speed, and those two could be a perfect one-two punch. And between Jamar Jefferson and B.J. Baylor, someone is going to have to catch some balls out of the backfield. With all the changes on the offense, someone has to catch some passes. It'll be a nice little tool for the QB, whoever it is. At wideout, again, Isaiah Hodgins is gone, and they're not going to be able to like emulate that or even come close, to be quite frank. Having a receiver like that it's not even about the stats. It's about the awareness he draws to the defense. Everyone else is open because he's out there. So making up him, making up everything he did production-wise, energy-wise, just overall attention-wise is virtually impossible. But some names to consider, and they do some speedy wideouts, and two of them are Champ Flemings and Tajon Lindsay. Fleming had, 100, had 457 yards and three touchdowns, 32 receptions last season. And again, Tajon Lindsay's just a fast dude, so... Fleming and Lindsay got some speed. That's going to be nice, you know, just to give some sort of threat offensively. 
They also have Trayshawn Harrison, who's a transfer from Florida State. He could make an immediate impact. But the number one option is likely going to be Trevon Bradford. He's a, He had 649 yards and six touchdowns a couple years ago before injuries took him out last season. But he is the likely number one. So you got Bradford and Champ Flemings and Tyjon Lindsey with the speed behind him, probably in the slot positions. Uh, let's see, I was going to say defensive line. That is not offense. At tight end, they have Tegan Catoriano. If I said that name right, I might be done with this episode. I can't believe I even got close on that. So, great blocker. We'll need to develop. He's a great blocker. Seriously, a very solid blocker. But we'll need to continue developing in the receiving game. And Luke Musgrave is probably their best receiving tight end. I'd say Tegan Catoriano is probably the guy who I'd look out for, though. He's an invaluable blocker. Sometimes that gets overlooked, but really, really could be impressive. And speaking of blocking... On the offensive line, I don't see any way they're going to be able to replace this group. <laughs> they're going to be in some trouble. So left tackle, Blake Brandell is gone. He was rated the best pass blocker in the country. Not getting that back. Left guard, Gus Lavaca, is also gone. He was a great run blocker. And so they lost those two guys, plus I believe a third starter blanking on the name. So in their offense in its entirety, new quarterback, running back could be solid, receiving core iffy. Offensive line looking trouble. I don't see the offense being very good this year, not replicating the success of last season. But on the defensive side of the ball, depending on that D-line and secondary, they could be good. I think the D-line has the potential to, st- to stand out, which would make for a very formidable front seven and a tough defense over and all. If I had to pick, I'd say that Oregon State's going to have five wins this season. That's the number that comes to me first. I'd like to say four just to be mean, but we'll roll five, okay, y'all. I'm not a mean person. So I've been talking too long. Have a good day. I'm going to send it down to Tucson to take it out, and he will break down your schedule. Adios, deuces, Reese pieces, and as always, Cheetos and Tuna. So transitioning to their schedule, it's looking like a five-win season, maybe the ceiling. Uh, open up the year with a tough game in Stillwater against Oklahoma State. You know, in the end, that's going to probably be a loss. It may be closer than expected at halftime and a battle somewhat in the third quarter, but I think Oklahoma State pulls away, ends up winning by three touchdowns uh, or more next week. Uh, hosts Colorado State. This is definitely a winnable game. I would expect the Beavers to win this one. Um, they've had a, a series with Colorado State, I feel like for the past, I don't know, two or three years, and it might be tr- um, on and off each year, but this year the game's out there in uh, Corvallis, so I'm expecting a victory there, and if if the Beavers aren't able to win that game, oh man, that's going to be a tough season for them. Uh, assuming they do win that one, the next week they play Portland State, and that should be a victory. Should not lose against uh, Portland State. And then the following week, open up the conference play against Washington State. So this is a really big game. If the Beavers are able to win this game, it makes the season, um, you know, has a better shine on it to begin because following this game against Wazoo is a tough uh, road stretch at Arizona State and at Washington, followed by a tough home game against California, and then another road game at Stanford. And um, so, yeah, this this game against Washington State might be their only chance for a victory for at least another month. So it, it makes this game it could be the biggest game of their season um, to put it frankly, uh, even if it's just a home game against Washington State to open up conference play, if you lose that game, it's not looking good for the rest of the year. 
um, and assuming that they don't win at ASU or Washington, the game um, against California on October 24th is going to be another big matchup. And, you know, the Bears are going to be good this year. Uh, I would expect Cal to win that game. And, and so then the Beavers um, follow that up with a road game at Stanford. Then they host UCLA. Then they go to Utah. So that's another rough stretch. Uh, the Stanford game is, I think, winnable because I, I'm not a big believer in David Shaw at this point. Though Stanford could be better than expected this year considering all the injuries they had last season. And then the Bruins come into town. Um, I think UCLA is going to be a little bit better than people expected. So, uh, yeah, that's those are two, two tough games. Uh, if you're able to split those, that would be um, fantastic. And then go to Utah. That's probably a loss. Tough place to play up there. Salt Lake City, even if Utah has a new quarterback and a bit of a rebuild. Uh, and then the Beavers host Arizona, which is probably, I mean, certainly a winnable game. I would, I think I would expect the Beavers to beat Arizona, though um, without really knowing the quality of offense uh, and the improvement on the defense side of the ball that the Beavers are going to have. Really tough to predict um, toss-up games like that. But if you give them the benefit of the doubt, they beat Colorado State, they beat Portland State, they beat Wazoo, they beat Arizona. That's four wins right there. And then if you're able to squeak squeak one out somewhere between Stanford, Cal, and UCLA, potential for a five-win season because um, then they end, they end the year against Oregon. Uh, Civil War, the game's in Corvallis, but you know Oregon is elite now, so I, I don't know if they're going to be able to pull that one out. I don't even think it, it probably won't even be very close. So uh, I think at the best, best-case scenario, five-win season, um, worst case scenario, it could be as low as two or three. So it's a bit of a, a range there. I don't think a bowl game's in the picture, though that could change um, depending on the quality, you know, of those transfers coming in and uh, how they're able to improve on the defense side of the ball. Uh, so the most optimistic, probably uh, five wins, six wins maybe, and the most pessimistic could be as low as two. So. Uh, big year coming up there for Jonathan Smith, and they need to continue to improve uh, recruiting. A lot of uh, JUCO transfers and transfers from, uh, you know, traditional schools, uh, traditional transfers. So um, they need to continue improving on that side, uh, recruiting side, and then it'll basically translate on the field. So for this year coming up, we'll see how it ends up. And I like the direction that program is going in. So I think Jonathan Smith has got them on the right track.